turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from uh, verse 26 to the end of the chapter. So, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the uh, heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything everything that has been given the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw that uh, that he had made... So God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, it's important to know what story you're part of. As there are lots of how, how you understand the story that you're part of will shape how you view the world around you. It will shape how you live your life, what you give yourself to, what you invest yourself in. If you think that this story, that life is all about finding true love, you're going to spend your life going that way. If you think it's about starting a family, you're going to spend your resources, your time, your energy, your emotion on seeing that story played out. If you think it's about a job or success, whatever that might look like, you're going to find yourself with your eye on these things always. And so understanding what story you're part of is important. The question of why we're here is massive. You know, this, this question, why am I at all, is a question that the philosophers have been asking and trying to answer for thousands of years. And I've got to say, they've been going around in circles since they started. There are a lot of answers out there. A common answer to that question, why are we here, at the moment is, well, it's all meaningless, actually. There is no meaning to it. Some people will say that actually the the only meaning that life has is the meaning that you give it. And so you may as well just spend life doing what you like, chasing after those things that will make you happy, because ultimately it's meaningless anyway, so why not YOLO and all that? I'll never say that again. So, it's ulti- so, so to these people, it's ultimately meaningless, and so you may as well do what you want. But, and if you're a Christian, maybe you've, you've sort of asked this question in a sort of different way. Maybe you've been asking the question, oh, what's my calling, or what's my purpose? Why am I here? What if, what's God doing with me? Maybe it's a question that you're in the process of asking, or maybe it's a question you've asked in the past. And I want to say I'm going to answer that question for you this morning. Actually, these questions... Why are we here? What story are we part of? What is our purpose in life? Are the questions that the book of Genesis is really trying to answer? 
What story are you part of? Why are things the way they are? Why are any of us here? The writer of Genesis wants us to know without a shadow of a doubt that there is a reason. And so his primary concern is to talk about the why and the who of God, as we saw as we began to open the series. He's not particularly concerned with the the how and the when. Now, there are questions that come up from the how and the when. Um, if, you're, if you've come across, uh, if you've gone to school and you've come across evolution, maybe that's raised questions for you. Maybe as we're going through this series, it will raise questions for you. And I just want to say that um, we're not going to answer those questions here. But in a couple of weeks' time, so two weeks today, um, we've, we're going to have a, an opportunity to ask those questions. Okay, how do, how do I hold modern science and read um, Scripture the way that I feel I ought to? Um, or maybe you're a non-Christian and you're asking the question of, well, you expect me to believe this, but when science is saying this? Um, if, if any of those questions are things that, that resonate with you or interest you, then on the 29th, so two weeks' time, uh, we're going to have a time of unpacking that and we're going to have a chance to uh, do a bit of a Q&A so if you're interested in that please do come along um, we'll be doing that in the evening on, in a couple of weeks time but a couple of weeks ago Dan started our series by unpacking Gen- the beginning of Genesis 1 and seeing that all of this exists because God made it and God made it for his glory you know this is all about God Life is not meaningless. There is a purpose, and the purpose is to glorify and make much of God. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, we're told that all things were created by him and through him and for him. And the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. This is someone who's looking up at the stars. He says, and the, the translation can also be, the great expanse proclaims his handiwork. And so we, we shouldn't come out of reading Genesis 1 thinking, ooh, this story is all going to be about me. No, because what ought to happen as you read this account of God speaking things into being is it should make you feel very small. God is God, and he's the main character of this story, and I'm in it. But he's the main character. I loved the example that Dan used uh, when we started uh, of those wedding photos. You know, you might exist in a photograph in someone else's wedding album. But that doesn't mean you're the reason that the album exists. And it would be silly to think that. And in the same way, if we come out of Genesis and out of our reading of Scripture and thinking, this is all about me, then we've misinterpreted what's going on here. And so, with all that in mind, we come to this passage that we've just read, where God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Now, if anyone speaks Latin, I'm sure there's a few of us. Um, I don't, by the way. Um, but this, there's a, this is a big idea in the Bible called the Imago Dei, the image of God. That mankind is made in the image of God. And there's a lot of people who are there trying to work out, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be made in the image of God? Does it mean that God has arms and legs and a head and a nose and hair and a beard? And so we kind of look like him. You know, that's 
when I first read this as a child, that's probably how I would have taken it. And, you know, as you read Scripture, there are images of God doing things with his hands and cutting his beard. And, 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 but that tends to be more poetic. Uh, sometimes people will take this and they'll, they'll use it and they'll say, well, actually, God is creative. And so us being made in the image of God means that we're creative. And, and there's a sense in which that's true. But whatever else it might mean... It means that when you look at a human, you see the glory of God. That's what happens when you look at an image, right? So you imagine a statue or a painting or a photograph. If I show you a statue of a famous person, you, you, when you see that statue, you see the person who it's representing, don't you? It takes you to that person. It takes you to thoughts about that person. And so that's what's meant to happen when you see a human. Is you look at somebody and you say, wow, isn't God amazing? You might admire the craftsmanship, but some more than others. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't go there. Um, but you might admire the craftsmanship. Wow, this is amazing how this thing works. Who made this? But the person that you're meant to think of when you look at a person is God. You're meant to see the glory of God. And so if all of the earth is created to display the glory of God, then there's something particularly true about humans in that. So everything is to display the glory of God, but there is a type of glory that stars and the vastness of space and mountains and sunrises and seas and storms and the minutia of atoms and subatomic particles cannot display, that cannot capture the image of God, as amazing as they are, but will be displayed in humans. In us. I was visiting a friend recently and he was showing me pictures of his trip to the Grand Canyon and to Monument Valley in the States. And there are some amazing stones and structures. This huge thing that's very, very old. And you see this and you think, wow, that's amazing. But that cannot express the image of God in the way that we're called to. And so we see as we go through this, you know, this, that, that, that gives us dignity and value. Now God says, you know, actually you can't love me unless you love one another. You know, you might feel like you're the lowest of the low, or you might feel that other people look at you that way. And, you know, this understanding of being made in the image of God raises dignity, raises value. You, you are called. There is no higher calling. You are called to display God in his glory, to point people to God. We see as well that there's, there's diversity here. So we're made male and female. But equality. Both man and woman are made in the image of God, to display the image of God. And now there's a difference between what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. But both equally display the glory of God. And we'll go more into that, I'm sure, as we continue through the series. But, but God's purpose in creating man is to fill the world with his glory. He tells them, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. 
This is, this is the, your job. You're going to carry my image to the ends of the earth. You're going to fill the earth. Habakkuk says this. As he's prophesying, looking ahead. You know, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I dare you, try and find a dry pit, bit of sea. That's what's going to happen. That's the end goal here, is that the glory of God is going to be displayed across the earth in the same way that the waters cover the sea. So God says, go, you my image bearers, and go and fill the earth. Cover it. In all that you do, you are called to show the glory of God and to make him known across the world. And as we go through the series, we're going to be looking at work and rest and marriage and families. And we're going to see how these are means given to us as ways of displaying God's glory. But as we know, this story um, isn't all smooth sailing. Actually, we see a few chapters later that, that humankind fall. We disobey God. We see that we fail to fulfill this grand calling that we've been given to display God. And so rather than showing God to be glorious, our sin and disobedience to God distorts and twists the image that we've been given to bear. We're told in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That glorious image that we were called to bear, we've fallen short of it. And as a result, we're told also in Romans, you know, that that creation is subjected to futility. And it's, there's a sort of, there's a waiting for this image to be restored. This is what creation wants. It, creation wants us, mankind, to be displaying the glory of God. And there's a futility, a frustration in, in creation's groans of childbirth, it says, waiting for this to happen. But in all of it, God's purpose remains the same. He's still God. He still intends to make his glory known. He still intends that vision that Habakkuk has of one day the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's still going to happen. And so he sends Jesus, who we're told he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. He is the radiance, we're told in Hebrews, of the glory of, of God, the exact imprint of his nature at one point Jesus' disciples come to him and they say are you going to show us God now and he says if you've seen me you've seen God Jesus comes and is what we were always called to be the display of God's glory so that when we see him we see God and what happens as Jesus comes is he, he displays the glory of God in the most incredible way by dying on the cross. Now that maybe would catch a few people out. If you expect to see the glory of God, you wouldn't expect to see a naked, dying man hung on a tree. But we sing, here is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven dying for me. And it's true. God displays his glory and his mercy and his sovereignty and his defeat of death in a dying man on a cross. Because through that, we can be called children of God again. The Bible tells us, you know, all who believe and accept him, 
are given the right to be called children of God. And so through the cross, through what Jesus does, through his bearing an image for us of what God looks like, we are restored to what we are called to. We're told those who he foreknew, Romans 8, 29, those who foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is this uh, in Colossians uh, 3. We have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And, And as we follow Jesus, as we believe Jesus, that's what's happening to us. We are being made to be like him. Uh, 2 Corinthians puts it like this, you know, now we with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed. So we see the glory of God in Jesus and as we see him, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So what's happening is we see Jesus in his glory And as we see him, we are transformed to be like him more and more until finally the day is coming, we're told, that one day we will see him and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The thing that's going to finish this work in me as I um, believe in God in hope that one day I will be totally perfected and all the world will be totally perfected, is that he is going to come and reveal himself totally and fully to me. And when that happens, as we see him as he is, we will be made like him, completely, fully perfected. And the gospel will have done its work. That's the hope of the Christian faith. We have, we've been saved by faith in grace and we are saved to be transformed on that, and to be transformed finally on that day when Jesus reveals himself. That's the gospel we preach. No longer enemies of God, no longer rebels, no longer a distorted image, but restored to who we are and who we were always meant to be. And with this restoration of our purpose, with this restoration of who we are called to be, we are told that uh, we are given a recommissioning as well. Jesus says to his disciples, doesn't he, this is a famous passage, the end of his ministry, just as he's leaving them, he says, Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. The objective remains the same, to fill the earth with the glory of God, to reproduce what God has done. Adam and Eve, they're told, fill the earth, multiply. 
And we, the church, are given this exact same uh, commission, exact same mission. You, go replicate yourself. Go make more of you. Go fill the earth because I want the earth to be full of the glory of the Father. And so you are called to go and make that happen. And I'll be with you, says Jesus. I loved last week as we gathered and we had our International Sunday. We see something of the nations amongst us and the celebration of what God has done in bringing the nations to us. Uh, And we looked a little, uh, didn't we, ahead at that final picture in Revelation. where One day every tribe and tongue and nation and family will bow down and proclaim Jesus is Lord. That's where this is going. If you want to know where the story goes, that's where it's going. So one day, every knee will bow. And, yes, and last week, we, we celebrated what God is doing to that end amongst us, and among, and the nations amongst us, the flags down the side of the room, if you've noticed them, if you're new to the church, they represent nations that are amongst us, nations that we're in contact with. We believe that that's what God is calling us to, is to reproducing ourselves and seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Now, it's easy to give this mission away to other people. We talked a little bit about it as I've been interviewed before. But mission, this mission of going and taking the image of God to the ends of the earth is an essential part of Christian living. Okay? So there's no, okay, we're going to give this to a few special people who are going to go off and do this. So Josh and Jen and all the others who are going up to North Hull, we'll let them do that and we'll stay here and we will just wait for people to come and bump into the image of God. Now there's, there's none of that happening. Actually, to be a Christian means to be part of this mission. Paul writes to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he's saying, he's, so Paul has left Timothy in the city called Ephesus to, to basically to, to help the church there, to become a healthy church. So there's some unhealthy things that have happened in the church, and, and Paul leaves Timothy there to, to see it built into something that is going to be stable and strong and survive. And so he writes these letters to Timothy to give him some instruction in terms of, this is what a healthy church looks like. And right at the top of his list, first of all, he says, I require that people pray. And pray for what? Pray for the nations, that the gospel may spread. An essential part of being the church means being the house of prayer for all nations. It means carrying that work. It doesn't just mean getting a newsletter every month or so from somebody who is doing something and then turning your mind to them and going, oh, that's interesting. No, it means you yourselves are carrying this thing. You hold it as your own. You are involved in it. Uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, you know, he's writing again to another church and he's saying, I want you to grow in your maturity. I want you to grow in your faith. And he gives them Uh, He teaches them and he instructs them and he wants them to be a fruitful church. But he's saying this, I want you to grow in your faith because as your faith increases, 
our influence will increase in the regions beyond you. That's where the, the name regions beyond comes from. The group of churches that we're part of is that verse. Actually, we are called as a church to be uh, expanding the influence of the gospel and the kingdom and to see the gospel reach the regions beyond us. And then, as I said, as, we were talking, as I was talking with Dan before, uh, in Philippians, we're told, you know, we're partakers and partners. If, you're a, if you eat this, of this table, if you enjoy the grace of God, if you've belonged to him, if you belong to this family, it means you're on this mission. So there's no shirking this off. There's no outsourcing this to other people. This is not a special few thing. This is, this is what it looks like to be part of this family. Is this, is, this is a family on a mission. That's what we are. And as I said, Paul uses this actually, this, the, of the Philippians. He says to the Philippians, like, it is right for me to think this way about you, talking about the gospel and what the gospel is going to achieve in terms of that final day when Jesus is going to complete it all. He says, it's right for me to be confident in that day because of your work with me in the gospel now. So our working out the gospel today is a proof of what God is going to do on that day. So to, to be a Christian means to be doing this. Now, what does this look like? Well, for both those first humans, those first man and woman who are told to fill the earth and multiply, and for us, going is essential. We're told, you know, they're told to fill the earth, um, so presumably for the earth to be full, someone has to go somewhere. Otherwise, they'd be stacking people just in one place. Say, so, no, as you, you're called to fill the earth, multiply, not just get, to get bigger, but to multiply yourself. Fill the earth with people. And we're told, go. We're, we're told very simply, go. Actually, that go is an essential part of that command in the Greek. You can't understand make disciples without the go that's attached to it. Those things are tightly linked. So the go, make disciples, involves going. It is not a, we're going to build a great big church here in the center of Hull and people are going to come and they're going to discover the image of God. No, ah, bearing the image of God requires us to go and to take it and to move it and to go where people have never seen the glory of God before. Places like North Hull and Orchard Park called to carry the image of God there. A stake in the ground. This is what God looks like. This is what God is like. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing. We're called to go. And we're called to multiply. And multiply. <laughs> Fill the earth and multiply, they're told. We're told, make disciples. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means that the church is both the primary means and the primary end of mission. What does that mean? Well, that final day that we look to in Revelation of, of, of all nations worshipping God, that's the church. You know, the aim is to produce people who are going to be worshippers. That's, that's what we want to do. That's what we're doing as we look to North Hull. 
We want to produce worshippers, people who are going to glorify God and fulfill their calling as humans. And how are we going to do that? Well, the means that we've been given is church planting. That's the primary means that we have in the New Testament. Is, is we go and we build communities that are going to display the glory of God so that other communities get added to that community and other communities get built. This is how we're going to fill the earth and multiply. And so what this means for us as Jubilee, I'm going to try and wrap up quickly, is that we are called to go. You know, Steve, um, over the summer, as we were going through that series, looking at our visions, we pulled up these banners. Steve held up the, you know, we're people reaching. And he talked a little bit about how, how particularly Jubilee, we hold a call. You know, so it's true of all the church, but, but as Jubilee, we feel we hold a call to be an Ephesus church. Now, Ephesus was a church that we're told in Scripture that in that city, the church, what the church did was, it made sure that the whole region was reached. And so churches were planted out of Ephesus. And so as Jubilee, we're called to be a church planting church. And so we've done it once before into East Hull. We're doing it again into North Hull. But that's not the final one, by the way. <laughs> if you don't like church planting, you're in the wrong place. We've got a few more up our sleeve. We want to see the region reached And so we're going to be planting church after church after church. And that's the call that is on us as a church, is to see ourselves multiply. That's the call that God's given us. Orchard Park. Some of you, some of you have already decided I'm not involved in that. That's not my thing. I want to just challenge you. You need to go away and seriously consider if you're called to join us in North Hull. And... As we've said before, if you're not called to join us in North Hull, you're called to join us here in partnering in what we're doing in North Hull. There is no, no involvement. There's no, that's not an option. If you're part of this family, you're part of what we're doing. We're part of something in the nations as well, as I've said. We see, we've seen churches planted across uh, the nations, and we celebrate that. Um, Caleb uh, Whittington, he's down in a church plant that we're part of in London. And then across the seas, we've got other church plants going on, and we hold that as part of what we're doing here in Jubilee. So we've been given a great task to show the glory of God to the world. And we've been given some great promises that go with that. You know, I will always be with you, Jesus says. I will be with you to the end of the age. I want to ask this question. I really want to lay down this challenge. Is that what you're living for? Is that the story that you're part of? Because it is. (laughs) You're called to glorify God. Is that what you're giving yourself to? Is that where your resources are going? Is that where your energy is going? Your thoughts when you're not thinking about anything? Are you thinking, how can I make disciples? How can I reproduce? How can I show off how good God is? How can I worship him? Or are you thinking about your job or something else, your hobbies, your money? I wonder if the band could come up and join me now as we just go into a time of response quickly.